Sonic States Rob's Call. Okay, hello everybody and welcome. Sonic Talk number 197, recording today live uh, 4pm UK time, Wednesday the 6th of October 2010. Welcome everybody in the chat room. Always a pleasure to see the uh, the guests streaming down in the background there. And also welcome to my local guests, uh, who, well, not so local. Some are local, some aren't. In fact, we have my local, probably my localist guest, I think, uh, if that's a word, is probably Gaz Williams, because uh, he's back for a second week. He must have, he must have not had enough last time. How are you, Gaz? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm glad. So, glad you could make it. And I, I, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that you've uh, dressed for the occasion. You've got the professional microphone going on there. Oh, right. Yes, yes. I, thought, uh, I, I, I was trying to sort of make up for last week's kind of uh, kerfuffle. Uh, but <laughs> and, and it sounds like you have. Ah, good. Thank you. What mic are you using, just out of interest? We usually uh, ask. This is a blue mouse. Which is blue a, mouse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a cool, Gorgeous, gorgeous microphone. Looks a bit like Mickey Mouse, hence its name. Well, uh, that goes straight in. It's not one of the USB ones. It's a, a regular kind of mic. Yeah, that's right. A condenser going into my Motu Traveller. Ah, okay. Well, uh, Gaz Williams, of course, uh, would it be fair to say freelance producer, band member, engineer, kind of general technological bod? Would that be a reasonable description of you? I think, yeah, that would be a lovely description. <laughs> well, thank you. I think I'll stick to that. I'll, I'll try and refer to that for my next n- next time you come. It's always, uh, anyway, glad you could make it. Um, I'm not sure we have... Uh, ah, Gold Star Rocket, myspace.com for Gold Star Rocket. Is that about Rock- right for the UL? Rocket, uh, Rocket Gold Star. Star. Rocket That's Gold right. Star. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as said last week, my website is under construction, which uh, I'm really embarrassed about, but it will be up soon. And uh, uh, Yes. <laughs> you will be ready. We'll get you. Yes. We'll get you there. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Anyway, that next in terms of distance, um, we'll say hello to Dave Spears from G4Software.com. How are you, Dave? Hello. I'm all right. Good. Can't believe what happened this week. I don't know. Tell me. I sold a synthesizer. No. What's I the matter will. with you, man? <gasps> are you falling on hard times? I don't know. Something really weird going on. And then last night, as I was kind of emailing the guy with a load of pictures, and I suddenly kind of went, "Oh God, do I really want to sell it?" But I have. I've agreed to sell it. There you go. Well, are you prepared to tell us which synthesizer you are selling? Uh, Oberheim Expander. <gasps> wow. For well, a bargain price, but I want a full frame digital SLR. So that's that's what the money's going to go on. Ah, uh, okay. You're going to get a uh, Canon D, whatever it is. Whatever yeah, they are. 5D. 5D. That's what Andy's got. In fact, if you check out, this is a good link, because I can tell you now, uh, if you check out our BPM uh, coverage, we went up to the BPM show at uh, Birmingham's NEC, which is a new show. Uh, really good, actually. Um, quite a bit of MI stuff there as well, and I think there'll be more next year. But really good vibe, really nicely organised, not your usual NEC, you know, sort of strip light kind of badly put together. Really nice vibe, actually. And uh, Andy's footage uh, is all shot on the 5D. And uh, because while we were there, we were testing our kind of new NAM rigs and, you know, field testing all of this stuff. So uh, if you want to see what that looks like, check it out. I mean, they're not perhaps the best thing for kind of ENG uh, show stuff, but it looks awesome. (laughs) I have to say the footage looks just absolutely great. Um, Really puts my crappy um, Canon Vixia to shame. But... You know, it's nowhere near as heavy. I know Andy was struggling a bit when he was doing a very long video with the uh, brilliant uh, Alan Heath uh, X-Zone DB4 digital uh, DJ console, which is a, a really interesting product, but he was sort of holding it up and I could see the speeds of sweat starting to appear on his forehead. But, uh, yeah, I can recommend them. Beautiful, beautiful HD footage and beautiful, beautiful stills. So, yeah, I can understand that. 
That's it. It's anyway, fun. well, thanks for joining us. And, and, uh, uh, moving, I'm just trying to think who's probably closer. I reckon it's probably Rich Hilton in terms of geographical location. Rich Hilton, of course, stateside in Connecticut where he works at the Nile Rogers Le Crib version two studio, amongst other things. You are at a busy time now, Rich, are you? Yes, very busy right now. But big you, fun uh, as well. Excellent. Well, I know you got to, uh, you, you, you aren't with us for that long, so I'll try not to waffle too much at the introduction so we can at least get your opinions on a couple of matters before you run out of time. MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And, uh, also, I, and then I guess the furthest away, but, um, only geographically, not from our hearts, PJ Tracy, oh. PJ Tracy Music, Emmy winning composer and, uh, kind of all round, um, musician and what have you. How are you, PJ? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. From the hinterlands, don't you know? The hinterlands? Well, it's hardly. Yeah. It's, it's just because you're not near the coast, that's all. That's true. Which in, in some ways is good, in some ways is bad. I mean, you're not going to suffer from any tidal waves or, you know, inclement weather based on uh, coming off the sea. But, you know, you have your own... Uh, now I am waffling. Anyway, shall we get started? <laughs> we'll start with a topic that you actually introduced, PJ, which was uh, uh, quite an interesting one, which is uh, a link to a digital media lifespan study. And uh, this was a story you found on uh, NPR, which was by a chap called Patrick Jaramwatanon. I hope I pronounced that right. It's quite a difficult name to pronounce. And um, he basically, there's a study that's just been out. It's a 181-page report uh, by for the National Recording Preservation Board and the Library of Congress. It's sort of, they both funded it. And uh, basically, uh, it's all about the archiving and continuing safety of audio recordings. Apparently, only an estimated 14% of pre-1965 commercial recordings are currently available. Only about 10% of music recording in the 30s is accessible to the public. Uh, also, uh, some older analog, but older analog recordings on the whole like to survive more than 100 years, more than today's born digital recordings and i went through the the report and it was just it was quite an interesting and eye-opening thing i mean i haven't read it all but i picked out a few of the salient points and um I, I, well first of all i, I should throw it over to you pj because obviously you, this kind of piqued your interest i mean what was this what were the salient points that made you think about it most well i, I find it frightening that only 14 percent of commercial recordings prior to 1965 and 10 percent of the recordings that were available in the 1930s are available. Um, that means that we've lost uh, a wealth, or or are in the process of losing, um, you know, a treasure trove of of possibly, you know, a lot of that is 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 not very good. But there's got to be a you know a number of a number of really great audio recordings that we've lost. The other thing is just thinking about. I've been thinking about this topic a lot lately because I'm embedded in a project right now that's going back um, a mere twelve years to try to reanimate um, some sessions that were done across multiple formats. So we had um, multiple formats of samplers all being backed up to iOmega disk drives, you know, uh, zip drives. And then we had uh, multiple ADAT machines and um, in, in multiple, at multiple bit rates. So we had older ADATs and newer ADATs. And then we had um, the old 888s and a Pro Tools system running alongside all of this and then MIDI data. So it was, um, in some cases, I've had to go back and, and just recreate some of the original material, you know, with, with the tools that I have available to me now, because it, it's a lot less time consuming than attempting to try to, to get some of this stuff up and running. Mm. Well, it's interesting. We, uh, we talk about the fact that there's actually issues with, um, 
just finding stuff. And and, and it's in some ways, you know, the commercial recordings that are not available via other, um, you know, just widely available today. They're kind of they're they're. Um, casualties of you know record company ownership and licensing issues and these kind of sort of non-creative filtering that happens and let alone the actual loss of the archived material seems like there's kind of other forces at work that we have to consider as well most definitely do you want to hear the world's oldest recording yes Mm. okay let me play the world's oldest recording this is from 1860 Apex Twin was recorded in 1860? <laughs> no, I'll tell you what that is. That's um, the oldest record. That's 9th of April, 1860 in France. It was a chap called Scott de Martinville who used a gadget he called a phonautograph, which scratched sound waves onto a sheet of paper blackened by the smoke of an oil lamp. lamp. I mean, and um, I love that's, that's I the oldest record. That, that, I mean, wow. that's a kind of, you know, I mean, thinking, that, so that's survived, what, um, more than 100 years, 150 years pretty much. Oh, that's on a bit of paper. Have they ever tried playing the drawings on the cave walls in hieroglyphics? I know, it could do. I'm I'm sure there's something (laughs) you could use. But that's quite funny, actually. I went went to see the cave drawings at, uh, at, um, what was it called, at Peshmel in uh, France uh, this year. And they were very impressive, although I had had a sneaking suspicion that some of them might have been created by the landowner to kind of generate a little bit more of the... uh, uh, you know, visitor footfall, shall we say. But anyway, that's a separate story. But I mean, this is, this raises an interesting point. I mean, just generally, the whole kind of digital technology has, uh, you know, we are used to archiving analog and there's a whole archiving process, you know, it gets to a certain age, it gets retransferred, that sort of thing. And they come up with uh, seven particular, seven points in the 181 uh, page report. This is in one section of it, you know, what to do with, di- um, it says, Point one, di- digital technology is a given. The analog era has ended. Uh, PCM is the digi- is the kind of the, the format for digital audio files and they should be transparent, audi- audibly indistinguishable from the original. Three, transfers must be flat without any equi- equalization or change to the original sound. Um, there'd be higher sampling rate and highest bit rates and must be uncompressed and storage must be for the plan for the long-term uh, metadata and professionally, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. But that's kind of interesting. How I mean, how... How do we know what to do? I mean, I, I, it seems to me what, that one thing they do say that hard disks are not considered a viable long-term storage uh, issue, but maybe tape backups. But there seems to be no clear um, consensus on what w- should be being used to back this stuff up. Is uh, solid state a better option than uh, hard disk? You know, sort of. Uh, it doesn't move, I suppose. Drives. Yeah, I thought they're not. Are they not susceptible to sort of like magnetic sort of interference, like hard drives are? And I don't actually know, but that's. A, I mean, they, they certainly should be more hard wearing. Mm. Did we not to cover a subject some time ago? This is really sort of just ringing a little bell that they degrade solid state memory, um, or am I completely um, fishing on that one? <laughs> well, was it a why dream? Wouldn't I why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't any magnetic media degrade over time? Mm. Well, yeah. Well, if it had power, surely the the media would, would this magnetism would be generated from the power source. Maybe. I or, still I don't know about you, but I was taught as a kid, and maybe this doesn't apply to electromagnets, but that the, as they age, they lose their uh, their mojo a bit. 
Ah, okay. The chat room, Echo Sonic in the chat room says, uh, SSDs do break down after time. Shane King sends limited number of rewrites and they do degrade. So that's probably a no then, Gaz. Um, but I mean, I used to do, I, I used to back up stuff onto, onto date, onto tapes, you know, um, HP, you know, uh, data tapes and what have you. And I've got loads of this stuff, but I haven't got any, haven't got any of the players because they all break down. Yeah. But that's a, pr- that's right. a problem right there is ar- archiving the actual hardware to play some of the storage medium on if you haven't been transferring as you go. And then the pitfalls with doing that, because like you're saying, um, solid state drives and uh, hard drives in general are not a good archiving medium. And NASA would suggest that currently, at least if you want to maintain parity one for one, you know, uh, of the data that you're archiving, DVD-Rs are not either. No. A, uh, a very solid uh, – they did a test where they were testing blocks of 11 disks and they would get um, – 7 out of 11 would have uh, – over the acceptable threshold of block er- block errors, and it didn't it didn't cause read errors in the data, but uh, but it's you know you're not getting a one to one transfer. Wow, that's a bit disturbing, Rich. What do you? I mean, I know you have kind of uh, you know offsite and a three disc system or what have you. What do you do for the actual archival part of uh, your work? Well, uh, multiple hard drives contain any given active project, and multiple tape. AIT tape backups currently contain my archive, but do I expect any of this life to be visible to us 50 to 100 years from now? Absolutely not. I think I think we are creating an enormous hole in the historical record, and I think a couple of hundred years from now they're going to look back and wonder what the hell happened around the year 2000. <laughs> but but, but, but that, that, that implies that there, there is a better way. What is that? Oh, I, I wish. I hope. I don't know. One thing I gave one thing gave walls. I think I think one thing that will kind of see things surviving though is just the absolute amount of like kind of bit torrenting and all that kind of stuff that's going on. Just the, the sheer amount of copies of music that exists in the world. You know, like uh, it. You know, it's going to exist on millions of people's computers and millions of people's of uh, pen drives. And you know, I think. And that, that's going to kind of increase, isn't it, as time goes by? So, you, so you think that might be good? So actually, maybe the way the, mm. the way to actually res- to save this stuff is through piracy. <laughs> that <would> actually, <laughs> piracy and file sharing is actually kind of where yeah, it might well, not be a bad thing. It, it does create multiple copies of it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, Dave, <laughs> what do you think? Where are you going to put your stuff? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we, you know obviously use hard drives to back all our stuff up we use hard drive per project but i've been involved in things where you know i've had to go and find original pieces of kit for example a casio fz1 sampler Mm -hmm. in order to get some samples from a really old album and then transfer it over and whatnot and it gets harder you know as the years go by sourcing good stuff gets does get harder although i mean i totally agree with what pj saying but there is an element as you well know i'm completely obsessed with video stuff and whatnot and i've been archiving over the years i've been archiving like multiple let's say dvds of stuff that one one copy for me and maybe one copy for the nipper when she grows old and i suddenly realized the other day she would probably end up spending her entire life reviewing my life (laughs) (laughs) so in a way it's quite nice to kind of go you know what it all starts from today just do some printouts of some photos Mm. and that'll be fine Mm. Yeah. 
Well, that's, that's that. You know, I was going to raise that issue. You know, are we perhaps, you know, just because we're generating so much more data, does it mean it's any more valuable? Not really, probably. I mean, I guess there's the different issues. I mean, Rich, you need yeah, to archive stuff for recalls, you know, for, and that makes sense because it has to be current. You have to be able to get hold of it. Whereas, you know, perhaps a demo I do or a video review I do, I don't really that bother. There's a copy on YouTube. I've got the footage here somewhere on a couple of drives. That's kind of enough. You know, I what? don't really feel... I've got a question. I've got a question for Dave. How how well does the Optigun's kind of discs hold up to time? Maybe that's the way we should archive everything. <laughs> yeah, not bad, but they were never brilliant in the first place. Right. So you're not going to get kind of high res stuff. But yeah, not bad. Not bad actually. Right. As long as you don't clean it with water. Uh, oh, is it cellulose? Yeah, I think so. That's like a uh, big big discs of film material. Yeah, I mean that, yeah, and that can last very well, and you know, a, a analog tape. But it's interesting that there's no. I, I just don't understand how we can't have have something sorted out. I mean, it's, is it going to be almost down to kind of punching holes in? Uh, would it be actually better just to sort of write the binary to the uh, big strips of paper and store mm -hmm. that, <laughs> so you just have a reader that can read all the ones and zeros back in and recombine it and recompile it into what it originally was. I wonder we could how put much them on the, on the cave walls. We could. We could paper yeah, no. our houses with them. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. I wonder what. I wonder how much paper you'd need of that computer paper. You know that stuff that does the sort of concertina thing for uh, a three-minute twenty-four-bit uh, WAV file. The entire rainforest. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's. <laughs> There's a flaw in my plan there somewhere, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> mm, okay, well, maybe not then. But yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating. I mean, the thing is, this 181 report uh, page report has got a lot of interesting stuff in there. I, I haven't read all of it, as I said, but um, it's it doesn't have a, an explanation. It just sort of, if essentially, it says we just need to be professional about it and make sure that we keep our keep keep an eye on it, which really doesn't is no change from the way it is. I suppose digital stuff now with cloud storage, maybe that'll help because it'll uh, propagate throughout various amounts of aging hardware that, you know, as disks fall off the, the kind of cloud storage thing, there'll be another one put on and it'll propagate across. I mean, that's what I'm guessing, you know, in that sort of way. Maybe there is, and as new drive technology gets plugged into the servers, it'll propagate to those. So you get this, at least this propagation of the data across, you know, these large networks of uh, storage, which maybe that's, that's kind of a way of doing it. That's the only thing I can think of anyway. Right. Um, well, uh, th this is the, this next topic uh, is uh, is another one with a clip, so I'm going to play it for you. can't take too much more of that in my headphones because it's actually quite fierce. Uh, that's a chip tune by a chap called Inverse Phase. I won't uh, mention the the, the published uh, the song title, um, but it's by a guy, a guy called C Loss and it's uh, F U. But it wasn't really the tune that was kind of the issue. Uh, this kind of almost sort of ties in with it's the antithesis of the previous topic in some ways because uh, it got me thinking about working with severe limitations because that's obviously that's created on uh, Nintendo NES, which I'm guessing is a, a SID chip, I think, or a, a something along those lines. And um, with all the possibilities that we have at our disposal. How, you know, do any of us work 
or choose to work with limitations in any way, shape or form? And how is it? Oh, d- definitely use limitations. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's very good to, for creativity, isn't it? To sort of put up boundaries of, uh, like, I like trying to do, uh, uh, I like trying to do something start to finish in one hour. Um, ah, a, no, a, and, and Mark Tinley did some stuff like that, writing a song in, you know, I think he gave him something like that, an hour or half an hour. Yeah. So, so that's a good limitation. That's a good yeah. idea. That's a good idea. I mean, because then you, you've just got to go with it. <laughs> so, uh, what about, um, I mean, the other thing was, is obviously when we start new projects, you know, quite often you kind of create a palette of sounds to work with, so there is a limitation based in that. I mean, is that something that one does, or do you do you find them as you go along? Um, I sometimes do. I sometimes put a mic out and put a bunch of instruments up already, you know, uh, acoustic instruments, and then just try and work with those. Uh, and and that and that's quite good fun. So you know, um, and an album I'm just finishing at the moment. We set a bunch of limitations. Uh, we call it tape rules. So uh, that's like a limitation in a way where the computer can only be used to the same functionality as a as a tape machine. Right. Uh, and that that's really good because that really puts the emphasis on. Um, on the performance, uh, you know, absolute ban on copy and pasting on that project, even though it would actually be quite easy, you know, instead of copying that little bit across, we have to redo it until it's right. Uh, you know, that, that I think that's maybe less about the sort of creativity, but more about sort of um, the performance perhaps. But yeah, um, no, that's, a good, that's a great idea though. Mm, tape rules, you know, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, that's a good one, uh, tape rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich, what about you? Are you kind of do you like to work with limitations? I mean, you, I mean, I'm guessing you know when you're working with the boss, it's kind of like whatever he needs. But I mean, do you? How do you find that that works for you? I let he who works without limitations cast the first stone. <laughs> right. <laughs> I th- we all do. I mean, starting mm. with ourselves and moving on to the things that the gear will and won't do on any given day and everything else. Um, so yeah, of course I do. <laughs> of course I work with limitations and I embrace them. I feed them dinner. I take them out for a nice movie and date. Then I take them home and romance them. <laughs> they're that important. They're clearly very important to you. I can tell. <laughs> yes, they're very important to me. Yeah. Okay. I, I romance I'm... them with both hands. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Uh, how about you? Are you kind of, um, do you find that you want to do that or do you just kind of reach for whatever is currently, you know, foremost in your mind? Uh, no, limitations are brilliant. They are a really good thing. And I think the pro- problem at the minute is we have so many choices that sometimes, you know, limitations can actually push us in a certain direction and also be very stimulating. I've been spending a lot of time with a certain series of synths recently. And in fact, I told you that I'd sold the expander and I'd mm. spent time, I've spent time with the eight voice and I've spent time with the ABX and the AB8 and stuff like that over the last couple of weeks. And the guy was asking me about the expander. And what was really fascinating is I was trying to kind of explain the, the fact that, you know, the eight voice, the preset management is just so archaic and limiting, yeah. but, and also each sem has to be set up individually. And, and the, and the inventive leap between that and let's say the OBX was quite marked. And then from the OBX to the expander was similarly marked. And actually it kind of got me back into the whole SEM thing again. And it was those, the anomalies between each SEM and the fact that there is no white or pink noise and stuff like that. And you can't use it for effects, you know, just forces you to kind of play in a different way. And the fact if you're playing it polyphonically, each SEM is going to sound very different. And it was a kind of, it was a real moment of joy for me. Hmm. 
And there you go. Do you think that there's um that there's sort I think there might be room for a kind of you know in the same way that those Eno cards which I know I keep forgetting the name of them there should be a set of rules to attempt so if you're working on something so you know like uh, Gaz your tape rules is a good one and you just have a clear definition of what that means and you know somebody else had would have another one you know so we could have like a, maybe a, a, t- a list of ten limitations to try and work to uh, deadlines as uh, as uh, John Van Eaton says in the chat room that works for a lot of people as well. But it's quite, uh, I think it's, it's an exercise that perhaps if you kind of f- almost formalized it and tried to work under different sets of limitations to what you're usually used to, because you might not be aware that you are working to limitations, you know, if you've just got the setup how you like it. And just, it's an interesting idea. Um, and incidentally, if anybody wants to actually try and make some of those, uh, that, that kind of chip tunes, there's a, a, pl- a thing called Milky Tracker, um, which is milkytracker.org, and it, uh, it's a, it's a mod tracker, which is one of the old, uh, well, it's kind of chip, original chip tune type of bits of software. Runs on Mac, OS X, Windows, and uh, Linux. If you want to try it out, I put a link in the uh, in the stream as it goes past there. Uh, look kind of fun. Uh, okay, um, right then. I better do an ad. Actually, it seems like a very good point to uh, to welcome our sponsor, and we want to say thank you very much to Yamaha for their sponsorship of the show. Uh, they're showing us or telling us all about the Motif XF, which is uh, their latest serious workstation. It's got more than double the internal wave ROM of the previous XS, uh, 741 megabytes to be precise. There's also uh, two gigabytes of optional flash wave memory. Finally, it's possible to save uh, all your set and all this whole kind of stuff in there and also load various libraries and uh, third-party libraries that are coming up. It means that you can instantaneously access it. 1,664 voices, 97 drum kits, uh, more sounds at your fingertips than ever before, 128 megs of on-built, uh, inbuilt sample RAM so you can now sample directly into it, which was something that didn't actually happen before uh, You because the previous version didn't come with it. It was an added extra, so now you can use it as a sampler. Uh, Director USB recording and playback lets you record your final mixing uh, tons of onboard effects, 61 key, 78, 76 key, and 88 key, eight key uh, with weighted action, all sorts of models. Please do check it out, a dealer near you. And if you want to, go via sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. And we want to say thanks once again to Yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show. And it's at this point I realised that I didn't ask PJ what he was <laughs> working to limitations. So PJ, I, I had in mind because you sent me some tracks over, which uh, you kind of ascertained your, you, you'd set some limitations for that. Would you want to tell us a little bit about that, and then maybe I can play a little bit of one of them? Sure. Um, yeah, recently I recorded a band that I've been um, playing with and writing for for the last uh, several months, and. Um, we went into a studio not far from where I am here and uh, set up as a group and recorded live to two tracks of Pro Tools. Um, no multi-tracking, no editing. The only thing that was done to the tracks um, post was just to roll off a little bit of the low-frequency energy, and that was it. And it, what was interesting about that process was the the engineer is a is a very he's a very good engineer and he's been working around town here for a long time and recorded a lot of local luminaries uh, including Bob Dylan and uh, but he it took a, a long conversation for me to really explain to him what it was that I wanted to do that I wanted to bring the band in record the band live no mixing all to two tracks and Pro Tools, you know, or all, all, I said, I want to record live to tape. And he says, Oh, you want to record to tape? Great. Well, I'll pull out the scooter uh, machine. Right. I said, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being euphemistic. I'd like to record to stereo. Um, 
and, and he said, you do realize I have Pro Tools. <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, I, I realize, but we want to set this limitation because I, I don't want the band to come in, come in expecting that they're going to get a chance to, to overdub any parts, that the performance is the performance and what we get is what we get. So we went in that afternoon, um, with the thought that we would record, um, four songs and, uh, did a couple of takes of each and chose the best of each. And that was that. Well, I'm just going to play a little bit of uh, it's Lima Police. Is that right? How I would pronounce it? Lima Police. Lima Police. a little bit more of that on the air that sounded great pj i mean that that was you playing piano right it was yeah and did you did you use was that you using the um the muse receptor setup out of interest no no that was the uh, yamaha grand uh Ah, it was a grand it was a real thing (laughs) yeah that was the real thing yeah Yeah. well you can tell i've obviously got golden ears there because i can tell i obviously (laughs) can't tell the difference it did sound right (laughs) no no the muse i I really do enjoy the muse receptor for live performance in the in the context of this band i think it's really good there there are a lot there's a lot of argument on the web as to whether or not any of the you know high uh density multi-sample pianos are good in a band context live for the type of thing that i'm doing i think i think they're great I mean, the next the the next best thing that is available currently that I've tried to, you know, to having an acoustic instrument in the venue, which is which is often not possible. Mm. No, well, that was great. I'll play a little bit more on the outro, but uh, I think maybe um, because I know Rich has got limited time, and I know that you are very uh, keen on the Isotope RX because we we alluded to it last week, and you sent a couple of links through um, during the week of uh, the sort of new demonstrations of some of what it's available. And uh, I think what I was going to do is just play a quick example, um, which is this guy turning the car on. Putting my seatbelts on. Before and after. Turning the car on. Putting my seatbelts on. Now, I'm not playing that because it has any great musical um, uh, thing, but it's, some of the other things are quite subtle, and we're probably not going to be able to hear them over the podcast, but you should go to Isotope and check them out. But if you heard, there was the beep, which sounded like maybe the reverse light or the, the courtesy light or something saying the front the, the door was open, and that was just gone from the recording. Now, that was um, one of the one of the examples, but there's just there's a whole bunch of new denoiser al- algorithms, improved declick and crackle. Uh, there's kind of a hot there's just tons and tons of it basically there's an rs rx2 advance which has all sorts of other uh, aspects to it um just one second 
could have put it on that phone. You're going to need RX to remove the phone from the podcast. And here's an example right here. That's beautiful. Actually, I could really use with one of those. I wonder if they do one for video as well. That was another one of those goddamn spam calls. Well, we were just postulating that you would use RX to remove that phone sound from the podcast. <laughs> no, I would so love to. I'm so, I'm so sorry about that. That's just totally unprofessional. Um, anyway, uh, Rich, I'll let you go first because you were kind of, you were pretty wowed by this. I mean, I remember being wowed by the original, but what, what is it about this that kind of really, uh, gets you going? It takes a whole class of things that used to be, you can't do that and turns them into, sure, just give me a few minutes. <laughs> that's what, that's what dropped my jaw. Things well, that, that could, once couldn't be done can now be done. The last, the lasso tool was something pretty exciting where you, cause you see the spectrogram oh. of the, of the audio and you just draw around it and just sort of go be gone or whatever it is that you're going to do to it. It was kind of yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. They had a crowd sound with a long whistle, uh, that somebody had done, you know, in, at a concert or something and they were able to remove the whistle. I mean, it was, and then they had a thing where you had full, Full on mixed audio with a gap a few seconds long in the middle of it. <laughs> they basically highlight around it and say go and it fills in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not unlike what was described to me with Cedar and those guys from Harmonics who did the rock band stuff and right. how they uh, were yeah, yeah, yeah. mono sources. So in other words, all of this technology, I'd, I'd sort of heard of most of it, certainly that fill in the gaps part I'd heard of from Cedar at that demonstration of how they did the rock band stuff with the mono Beatles sources. Yeah. But nevertheless, uh, I hadn't seen it in such an affordable and, and nicely displayed package for Macintoshes and for, you know, other computers. And I was, I find I'm really interested in the isotope stuff. It's taking me a minute to wrap my head around. Yeah. I mean, we've got, we've paradigm. got, we've got RX and it's, uh, I must admit, it's, it, it's quite, it is quite, I mean, the, the interface is quite simple. It's obviously doing some pretty serious stuff. Um, but I, I, before I get into that, um, I, I know, Dave, you're a big fan of Isotope. In fact, that did sound a bit like, uh, was it Mark from Isotope yes. um, in yeah. that recording who uh, has yeah, come down to Sonic Towers before in the past to show us some products? Uh, it did recognize his voice. But, yeah, amazing. Uh, I was lucky. I, I was on the beta test of this RX2, and there was just this moment where the lasso tool appeared and then the magic wand appeared. And... I got really excited, like my jaw was dropping like loads of times, and I sort of laugh when I get really excited, and there was lots of laughter coming from this room, along with mm -hmm. a fair few expletives. It's absolutely stunning. <laughs> I mean, I use RX every day, pretty much. Um, really? So it's such, mm. such a step, yeah. I mean, I cleaned... Uh, a lot of the Optigan stuff with RX, um, and it's and, and using the spectrogram is just awesome. I mean, I can't. There is nothing wrong with it. It's, it's unbelievable. That's the thing because it, it sort of blurs the line between sort of Photoshop and um, you know and and WaveLab or something, doesn't it? It's a really unusual combination. They've really kind of nailed that. I know. Um, PJ, is it something that you use any of that any of that stuff? I mean, this looks pretty exciting. Um, I use some of their other plugins. I, I don't have uh, this particular this particular plugin. I, I did download a demo of of the original RX and played around with it, and that was that was jaw dropping. Um, and this looks really cool and and really really um, interesting in terms of a sound design tool, possibly. Um, 
because you know if you if you've got something uh, if you've got some old samples some records uh any any kind of sourced audio you might be able to uh to really tinker with it on a on a genetic level and and make something interesting out of it there's some really well, interesting features in there for kind of you know logging and you know for forensic audio because that's essentially what it is i mean it, all that stuff that you used to see in sci-fi movies you can do with the isotope stuff <laughs> it seems like and yeah. gaz are you are you uh, uh, um, do you have the need of this sort of stuff i'm guessing your of course your recordings that you do are pristine you don't need any of that stuff but uh, uh, <laughs> well uh, i'm i am a huge fan of isotope and uh, recently i've been I've recently bought alloy which is great i think i mentioned about it last week but yeah we uh, use it I'm going to. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to pull the trigger on this one because uh, I think if you buy it before October the 31st, it's a hundred dollars off. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, 249 bucks uh, as opposed yeah. to 349, and the advanced yeah. version, which gives you some more of the forensic capabilities, probably not necessary for most music professionals, but is 749 as opposed to 1199 till the end of October. That's dollars till 31st of October. And I think the thing that I'm really excited to try, I haven't actually tried it yet, I've downloaded the demo, but I'm just I'm going to try it this evening, is this thing with the magic wand where you can, when, once you select a, a particular sound, which you identify from the visual look of it, it'll actually sort out all the related harmonics to it as well. And that looks really interesting from a creative point of view, you know. So I'm I'm, I'm going to really, I'm going I'm to try it on some mix sounds and see if I can actually remove... Okay. So, um, certain instru um, instruments. One of the things that's really fascinating is once you do that and you've got your selection, you can copy that and then you can import another file, another audio file, and then you can paste those selections onto that audio file. Okay. Oh, so oh man. That. It's incredible for sound design. <laughs> it really is. Wow. So, and if wow. you only want to hone in on a particular band, you can just take one section of that, you know, that spectrogram or uh. of it. It's... it's <laughs> It so is. This, you just go, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And you can, you can do the inverse as well. So you can find the thing that you don't want and then just listen to that. Or, you know, yep. and so you can do it either way, which just sounds like kind of, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it seems really, really nifty. I mean, I think for video posts, it's probably more useful for me because, you know, sometimes I might film something where there's a problem with a squeaky chair or, you know, whatever. Not that I usually bother about those sort of production values. I hate to be, I hate to film that sort of stuff because everyone gets, it's all a bit clinical. But nonetheless, sometimes, you know, there are noises mm. in, involved and you have to just try and get rid of them or whatever. And that's going to be, that's going to be incredibly useful. Uh, the only thing I find is it, it does require a, quite a bit of grunt to, uh, to do its thing but you know as it should it's a pretty amazing piece of software i loved where yeah. they separated the uh, music and the noise spectra oh with the first bit great. yeah and then you could you yeah. i i might you know much uh in sympathy with what dave was just saying my first thought was i want to take that noise spectra and make it the basis for some ambient patch yeah you know, start They're processing that uh, not as a flute but you know as some sort of bizarre noise spectra well, you need to use the advanced version for that. That's not a. It's called deconstruct, yeah, I think. That's, yeah, that's uh, that the one function. I um, but you'll you'll need the advanced version for that. But you know, if you're doing that kind of thing, I mean, I know Howard Scar's in the chat room, and he's uh, he's a sound designer. I'm not sure if this is something that he would use, but uh, you know, that that's the sort of more advanced features. But yeah, amazing stuff, and um, you know, nice guys, and you know, more couldn't be more deserving. Anybody got anything they want to add? Yes. Uh, what if you were 
what if you were a wind player and and you were playing something like that flute part and then you used a MIDI wind controller to control some kind of synth sound and then you deconstructed the spectra of your acoustic sound and started imposing that on your synth sound? I think you could get some amazing sounds by combining both acoustic and electronic performances. By, ah, you know, so maybe get that, the transient, kind of the transient from the real thing and something else from the other, and that sort of thing. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's. A, <laughs> I mean, there you go. There's some mm. p- just possibilities just shaping up right there, just with a, some thinking of it. That that does sound quite. Also, really cool things like um, tape azimuth adjustment and stuff like that. I've I've taken some old stuff recorded on cassette, uh-huh. swung it in, done a few adjustments, and it's clean. It's really clean. Oh really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, Oh, what was that? There's some strange noises in the background there. We back. That's all right. We're back again. I think this is, it's the sort of thing. If you have to work with audio of all kinds, it's one of those. I mean, they're kind of the only people who do this, aren't they? This particular sort of suite of stuff. I mean, obviously there's the cedar cedar things, but that's a yeah, pretty waves, different. Waves has a restoration. Waves, waves right. has a restoration thing. Yeah. That's all right. No, somebody said someone's behind me, and I, because they might have seen somebody in the camera behind me, <laughs> that's what that noise was <laughs> in the door. So I was looking round. <laughs> you scamp, Shane King. You scamp in the scamp in the chat room there. Uh, anyway, well, um, isotope dot com. Obviously, uh, do check it out, and and uh, you know, it's definitely something that's worth looking at if if that's the sort of thing that you need, because there aren't you know there aren't a lot of options there i mean the wave stuff is probably great too but it's usually priced uh, a lot more high higher up the uh, the cost yeah. amount oh yeah oh yeah hell oh, yeah. yeah well i got so excited yeah. by this that um, in the optical stuff that we did i actually included a lead sound which is called a harmonic extra where i'd taken harmonics from a choir sound and we had we just gave that you know added that to the collection because it was oh, like, so actually it's really one. useful and it sounds like that um, spaceship from UFO, if you remember that sci-fi series. It's just got this fantastic tone to it. I guess the thing is you can take elements of a stereo sound that give width and sort of height and depth and take the middle out and just have that at the top, you know, at the edges to kind of create a, the sense of moreness to a sample. Can you? There's all sorts of things you could do. Yeah. I mean, in, in seriousness, and this won't happen because obviously everybody's too busy, but I've been saying you have to try and find a way of turning this into a synth. It's a real time, yeah. So where you've got multiple bands that you could merge and mix or, you know, you can take different frequencies and adjust. It would be really interesting, but it won't happen. Am I not right in thinking there is a synth that's got that sort of technology, you know, just ish? Is it one? It's not the camel guys, is it? Not camel... Camel people do something that's based on... It's like an additive uh, FFT kind of thing. There's a couple of people that are doing that kind of thing, yeah, but it's not quite the same thing. It's not the same thing. Not the same thing as this. No, not not exactly the same thing. I mean, it's it's similar where where you're taking a sample and breaking it down into its partials, and you have uh, a a number of different you know different partials. And the the uh, alchemy is their newest version of that of that technology, and it's that's pretty astonishing what that can do. But uh, it's not quite the same thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Let's let's start, let's start a petition, eh? 
Sonic State yeah. users, I start a petition to get them to make a synth, or license the technology to someone who can make a synth so that we can <laughs> use it. It sounds pretty awesome. Um, which, yeah. which all takes me on to, this, uh, this sort of takes me a little bit, n- well, it doesn't, there's no link to this whatsoever, but uh, this was something that I wanted to, to share with you as well, which uh, I don't know if you've seen, but there's, n- you know, w- the Reactable, um, which was this very large kind of uh, almost art synth piece where you have various objects that you put on a table and you, you can interact with them and create sort of interactive synthesizer objects. Well, uh, it's actually now come for the iPad, and that is uh, a kind of fairly um, <laughs> a fairly intense moment because if you imagine the Reactable... Uh, let me see if I've got a clip. I think I've got a bit of a click here. I've also downloaded the app here, and I've got a camera on it, so I might be able to play something, and I'll attempt to do something infinitely better than my feeble attempt with the uh, last iPad app I looked at. But have a listen to this. So what this is is essentially um, music that's been created on the Reactable for iPad. Um, You can put audio clips into it. You can do all sorts of stuff um, based on, you know, the, the, the kind of objects that it's got available. It's got 20 virtual objects. But what I'll do, uh, I'll switch my version on. That's just loading now. had a very high resonant filter in there. This is just playing a couple of loops. You, you guys probably on the podcast can't watch this, but it's essentially a reactable, and it's on an iPad, and you just sort of think, okay, it was 20 grand or so for the original, and now this is 5.99. Anyone tried it? Anyone seen what I was talking about? Does this... Uh, I mean, it, it, I have to say, it's almost as impenetrable as the original. <laughs> it's much less expensive. I got it for the iPhone. Uh-huh. A little small, I'd imagine, for the iPhone. Does it work okay? It's not bad, yeah. Do you want to hear what it took me an hour to make? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> okay, that's worth five quid of anyone's money, isn't it? So it's just like a really expensive and impenetrable uh, modular, like an EMS or something. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, my I'm running it on the older iPhone, the 3GS, and it does start to hurt after a little while if you use a couple of loops and various wave shapers and whatnot but it's very interesting it, i thought it's absolutely brilliant i mean because the reactable it got everybody really excited because it's this sort of large tactile arty kind of modular synth thing and it's sort of and it, that's what's so enjoyable about it. and you've basically got apart from the actual physicality of it you've got exactly the same thing here as far as i could tell I mean, uh, astonishing, really. Gaz, did you see the original Reactable? Because I know Bjork used it, and it became very sort of of the moment, didn't it, for a while? Yeah, I mean, I saw Bjork using it, uh, but beyond that, I haven't never never got my hands on one, although it's exactly the sort of thing I'm into. Um, so uh, it's another one of these tempting things pulling me down to the iPad or iPhone quandary that I've got. Well, I mean, you know... <laughs> I, I, it may work on, you know, maybe they'll get it working on other systems as well, but it's, uh, it, it is, I mean, I've only played with it a very limited amount, and it, is, it reminds me very much of a modular kind of thing where you just get lost and can't figure out how it works, and, you know, mm. much in the same way as you do with a modular you're not familiar with. Yeah. Um, Rich, you've got a couple of iPads at your disposal. Have you downloaded this? I think you should. If you don't I haven't, but I will. I'll take a look at it. It kind of, I mean, I haven't used it yet. But in watching the videos, it reminded me a little bit of the RJ Voyager app that the RJ DJ people had put out. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a similar sort of thing. It has kind of a similar interface, and yet I have a feeling they do some very 
different things as well. So I'd like to check the check into this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know, do, do it's well worth it. I mean, I know it's uh, it's iPad only, um, but you know what can I say? I th- but having said that, we have another topic coming up. Uh, if we've got briefly time to talk about it, um, but um, uh, who hasn't said? PJ, you've uh, you've not checked this out. Would you be? I mean, because I know um, you're you have visual limitations. Would you be able to use something like this, or is an iPad just too wee and um, and fiddly? Ah, that'll be. No PJ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds. Tumbleweed. Actually, um, for those who've been missing Tumbleweed, uh, I did actually bring it back up again. Um, and this is our fabulous Tumbleweed moment that uh, was created by our very own Howard Scar from the chat room. This is a custom piece of sound design from, from our man who's just finished working on the, um, the latest Hans Zimmer soundtrack. Still sounds good as ever. (sighs) Thank you, Howard. it's been a long time since I've played that, so I don't feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's too out of place. Uh, I don't know if PJ's still there. It seems to have, um, left the building. Maybe he had to step out for a moment. But anyway, check it out. Um, and, and it's well worth trying, um, on the iPad. It sort of makes a lot of sense because it's a bigger thing. Right. Um, so which took me on to this last, l- the last topic because, you know, we've been, obviously at the moment, we, the only thing we can talk about in terms of multi-touch devices are, iPads, iPods, and, and the like. But now there's an, a whole slew of new touch devices based on the Android setup, uh, Nick, which is ah PJ. Do you, do you, you hear are. me? I'm I, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that I'd actually I'd hit I'd hit a mute button on this headset. Oh, that's all right. Uh, I was just going to ask you whether whether this would work for you, really. I mean, uh, on the iPad, or is it kind of too fiddly? Um, I have an iPod Touch, and uh, the things that are too fiddly are fun to just kind of mess around with. So, yeah, it looks really cool. I, I'm definitely going to download it after the show and check it out. Mm. Well, well, but I'm oh, glad cool. you had a chance to use the tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> right, Rich. I know. I know. Rich has to go. Um, I'm much. Pre- I appreciate him um, sticking around. I know he's got a busy day in the studio ahead. So we'll say goodbye to Rich Hilton uh, at the moment. MySpace.com forward slash Tony. So off to do some great work in uh, in a great studio, no doubt. Thank you, fellas. Had a great time. Yes. Well, thanks for sticking around, and Bye, uh, I appreciate you giving us some Bye. of your valuable Bye-bye. time. Bye, guys. Bye, Bye, PJ. Bye, Dave. Take it easy. So, more more um, touch devices on the way. I mean, and this is quite interesting to me, but purely because I've just got an HTC um, Android uh, multi-touch phone, which, uh, and I'm kind of pretty pretty into the the operating system. I think it's a pretty good uh, pretty good system. And I just wondered whether or not, um, you know, are we heading for a touch world? I mean, it seems inevitably that that is going to be the case. Do you think so? Anybody anybody agree, or are we? Uh, we, it's unlikely to take off. Is it a fad? Dave? Oh, no. Oh, Gaz. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it'd be great. I mean, I really like the idea of multi-touch and, uh, you know, especially when it comes to the studio. Uh, and I think really, you know, as soon as it's, you, you know, I can imagine that, that the uh, VST instruments are just going to just be fantastic. You know, I'm really looking forward to that sort of um uh, so yeah, so I'm I'm thumbs up for it. I'm uh, I'm, I'm actually. Of... Sorry, go I'm on. Just trying, I'm just trying to decide on when 
when and what to get really to be honest you know so mm. I'm, I'm 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 sort of holding on a little bit so i'm quite interested in this new thing uh this is the what the Samsung Galaxy Tab, which is mm, um, yeah. I nearly did get the Galaxy S, which is a slightly mm. larger kind of mobile smartphone. Uh, smartphone, but I I, um, I ended up going for because my my carrier just offered me such a ridiculously good deal. I got the HTC Desire, um, mm. which I'd like to try some music apps. There are, there aren't very many, but I mean the apps are incredible. They're, they're incredibly. Um, you know, they're coming up fast. There's lots and lots of them. There's nowhere near as as many as in the. Uh, um, as in the app store, obviously, but it's a different thing. And the fact that you're not limited by any kind of agendas that Apple may have kind of means that we're likely to see some more experimental and things that, uh, you know, may well tread on the toes of a developer like Apple, but it doesn't matter because this is an open platform, much more so. That's great. Yeah. I, I know, Dave, are you, um, have you tried any Android stuff? Do you think this, or do you think we're, do you think we're heading to a multi-touch kind of scenario? I think undoubtedly, yeah, yeah, I, which is a bit of a nightmare for me because it means I'm going to have to wash my hands more regularly. Yeah, that's it. There's the one downside <laughs> to the, this touch world is greasy food, obviously. Oh, yeah. God, my nipper's laptop, you know, I kind of go on there sometimes. It's like, what have you been doing? But, yeah, yeah, it's kind of caked in stuff. But, yeah, no, it's, undoubt, it's undoubtedly stuff. the way it's going to go. It'll be interesting because I think there'll be this kind of crossover period, won't there, where there'll be sort of old codgers like me still hanging on to our mouth. You can prize my mouse from my cold, dead hands. And there'll be these kind of kids just coming along going, check this out, Grandpa. Well, that was the, that was the question I was going to ask, really. What, at what level does it have to reach before the mouse and keyboard are history? I'm, my, I'm, mouse has gone from my life now. Wow. Uh, yeah, we I've just replaced, use a touchpad. I, I, well, I've got... I've got a touch. I've got one of these new magic trackpads for my desktop studio. Ah, okay. That, and the reason I've done that is just to sort of have parity with my laptop as well. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I use Reaper, and Reaper uses Reaper supports uh, multi-touch for a gesture, kind yeah. of gestures. You know, so I've developed a lot of gestures and for editing, fantastic. You know, multiple finger stuff, and uh, and then when I saw the magic trackpad, which, you know, for people who maybe don't know what that is, it's, it is literally just the trackpad off a new Mac. Uh, bigger. It's, it's kind of bigger, isn't bigger. it? Bigger, yeah, and Bluetooth. Uh, and, yeah, so I have now officially retired the mouse, so I don't think I'll go back because I think, you know, the new system is much more efficient, you know. All right. I, I mean, I don't, I don't use a mouse because I'm on a laptop most of the time, although I've got a mouse on the uh, Mac Pro because I have no other method of input, but I might try that. How is it for very precise and fine um, adjustments, adjustments even? I, I, I'm loving it. I think it's brilliant. Um, I guess it's, uh, you know, for, for again, I, I, in, in Reaper, you can kind of set up, you can configure it to a fair degree. You know, you can kind of... Mm. Uh, you can adjust the uh, the momentum, and or you can turn it to, or you can set you can set it to be geared as well. So if you didn't want it to be smooth, you know, if you wanted one um, one gesture to be sort of like more notched, you know, for maybe adjusting parameters, you know, you can actually turn off the momentum and set and choose a gear from one to ten. So then, oh really? You know, so what with a key yeah. command something or. Uh, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's in the, uh, it's in the, in the preferences. So you, you know, so you, you get the various gestures up and then you can kind of tweak the, the parameters. So, um, I, and, and that for me is just showing a little bit about how things are going to be more in the future. And I find that really exciting because, you know, editing, you know, I spend a lot of time editing and it's a 
drag, isn't it, you know, editing? So anything that can make that a kind of more pleasurable experience, you know. Well, I'm, it's the I'm, zooming in and zooming out and all that stuff. You can do that with gestures. I, I like the idea of yeah. maybe having a sort of wipe. <laughs> you just kind of go like that and it's sort yeah. of get, yeah, go. I don't want you here anymore. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I mean, the one thing that having a phone and using that a lot, I mean, sometimes when you come to other devices and you think, hold on, it doesn't do that, does it? I've got to use this. It's, uh, there's going to be a transition period, but it, I don't know. Do, do you, PJ, would you, would you consider moving? I mean, what would it need to, to, to kind of persuade you? Cause I mean, I guess it needs to be on the screen, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, not for me on the screen, not, not a whole lot though. Um, I, I think that, uh, haptic, um, response to, you know, to our, to, our, to moving around data or the, the haptic interface, you know, using your, using your hands to control things, touch to control things is a natural extension of the way we do things everywhere in life. And, um, yeah. previous to using computers for editing audio and video, we did, we did those things with our hands. We, we twiddled knobs and, and faders. And there's been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of implementation of, of different technologies to try to get us back in that direction and now i think touch touch screens are the next evolution of that and i think that the, i think it's like dave thinks and and uh cast thinks that uh we're uh, uh we're inevitably heading in that direction and and ho- and hopefully at some point beyond it Mm. At the chat room, uh, Ecosonic says uh, he just swiped in the style that I just said, and he managed to navigate back one page in Safari. So there obviously is a swipe <laughs> back of the hand gesture <laughs> in <Yeah>. there somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I have been reading about the death of the pointer, you know, which uh, touch, you know, you know, we, the, the whole idea of a pointer, you know, that you move around on the screen. Just once we're in a multi-touch, you know, a touchscreen kind of world. The pointer ceases to exist then. Well, it so does, but you have to be quite precise. I mean, it's quite hard to be precise with, you know, a big thick finger than it is with, the, <laughs> with a kind of, you know, you're moving a mouse in a very small amount. And also for things like text, I mean, that's the one thing I find if I'm on my phone, which is obviously not the ideal environment, trying to tap to get the, um, the, the, the insert point to sort of maybe halfway through a sentence. So I want to delete a letter and retype it is, is really fiddly still. It doesn't quite. We haven't quite got that. They haven't solved that problem. And, you know, that's all part of replacing the keyboard, whatever. But the keyboard actually on the, on the iPad, I mean, I can use that okay. I mean, it's, it's nice to have mechanical feedback, I think, when you're typing. But I, maybe it's a combination thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is because I, I think you're right, Nick. In terms of text editing and things like that, touch is still fitly and that has a lot to do with um both uh the graphical side of the user interface as well as just the nature of of touch and text. So it it'll be interesting to see the way that, that those problems are solved as we kind of work forward in this. I, I was thinking at one point it might be interesting to have like a little mouse pointer that's similar to, you know, to what we already have that you could move around with your finger and place uh the point of it anywhere you want and then depress on the screen when you wanted to insert um, yeah, you know, a marker. Some some systems do kind of do use that. I mean, I I, oh, I think they? there's going to have to be modifiers and things. So you know, you might kind of go a broad sweep, and then you put your fingers on you know something else, and it suddenly zooms in, and you get really macro control. And you know, maybe three fingers gives you even more control. Of, do you know what I mean? So you can actually mm, almost sure. zoom. So it's very instinctive. Uh, yep. I mean, one of the things that is going to be an issue, I mean, I guess this will get better and better. I mean, obviously, with the tablets that are coming out, I don't know what it is. I think it's a gigahertz Snapdragon in the uh, 
um, in the iPad. Uh, the Samsung Galaxy Tab has got a gigahertz, which isn't that great. I mean, it's quite expensive, but there's a Hewlett-Packard Slate, which is coming, which is going to have a 1.6. So obviously we're going to see much bigger um, processor power coming into these, but we're going to end up with, I think we're going to, as you know, everybody's been saying for, for, for quite some time now, we're going to end up in this kind of a new operating system sort of issue, which I guess is going to affect developers like you, Dave, you know, like developing for iOS or Android or whatever the, the, the kind of the, 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 the ascendancy is in uh, multi-touch operate available op, multi-touch capable operating systems. I mean, that must be a, a bit of a nightmare for you because I mean, if we're getting that way, it's kind of like, Oh my God, it's a whole shift of OS, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll be, sticking, I'll be sticking multiple fingers up at my computer as opposed to two or one. Yeah. But there are lots of very interesting challenges because this is, this, I think this is obviously going to be one of the next big shifts, clearly, you know, that, that everybody's going to have to start thinking. I mean, I imagine programming, programming just for a GUI is hard enough, but programming for something that's got three dimensions to it and multiple points of entry is, Jesus, I mean, isn't that going to make, aren't you going to have to be a kind of, brain the size of a planet to come up with good stuff for that. Funny enough, I know a couple of people with brains the size of a planet. Well, you're going to be fine then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, one thing that I'm quite interested in is like a, like a finger mass. So the more your finger spreads out, as it was on the touchpad, the finer control or the lesser control, as it were. I think that, that kind of level of detail. So, it, you know, in a way, like a kind of aftertouch thing. Almost pressure sensitivity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That that's the next step, isn't it, for touch sensitivity? Is pressure sensitivity? I reckon. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, weird okay. because I mean the Wacom stuff has been doing that for ages with the pen, hasn't it? It's got the stylus, and you have a pressure sensor in it, so mm. you are particularly useful for Photoshop. I mean, that's been like that for years. I mean, remember we uh, we had uh, Steve Evans, uh, sorry Richard Evans, on the show a few times. He's the guy who works with Gabriel and does a lot of work for TV. And he moved to there's a Wacom screen i think he was using that and that must have been what a, a year or so ago and i don't know what the size of it. it's 14 inch i think but it's a wacom screen and you use the stylus directly on it it's not multi-touch but it's I called mean, cintiq that, cintiq that screen that they have and they have a 21 inch screen i don't know if they if they offer a smaller one but i've looked right. into that um and uh the 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 difference with the wacom technology is that um all of the all of the um pressure sensitivity and touch sensitivity is being done by the pen, by right. the stylus itself. So, mm -hmm. for instance, your, your finger is pressure sensitive, but the computer has no way of knowing, you know, obviously, to what to what depth you're you're pressing your finger down on the screen. So we'll all be uh, having bio USB ports installed in the next five years, and then that'll solve <laughs> that problem. It'd be yep. great to see a kind of convergence of, you know, uh, speech recognition and, um, you know, multi-touch. All of these things need to kind of come together. Yeah, I mean, it's very the thing about the thing about touch stuff is you know most keyboards are designed to accommodate all kind of sizes of hands. Whereas when you're working with a screen like say this big, like your iPhone or whatever, or even an iPad or you know a five or a seven or whatever kind of size screen, 
the the size of the fingers and the way that the hands work is is not quite so flexible and so you end up having to learn it rather than it learning you and that is something that i'm struggling with with my htc it's the space bar is in the wrong place for the thumb that i use for space bar so i'm just constantly and if you've any, if you had any text or emails with me for, uh, from me which are just have spaces in uh, sorry full stops instead of spaces that's why and i still haven't figured out how to deal with that hmm and that's going to be a problem for a lot of people. I mean, we've we've talked about you know when you have crowded touch interfaces and what you, what can you do when you want to move several uh, items at the same time because you have to essentially move up and down and you're going to be going across another control. It's all quite you know it's a completely mm. different set of issues to work with. So that's going to be quite a challenge to the those people out there with big brains. Um, <laughs> To figure out, but I'm guessing. I mean, like for one of the reasons that this story came up, it was on uh, Create Digital Music. Um, they use uh, a specific kind of t uh, processor. It's got a chip in it, which has uh, uh, what is it? It's got a Maxtel multi-touch chipset, which is is actually a chipset dedicated purely to interpretate interpreting the touch screen input. You know, outside of the actual CPU stuff. So I'm guessing this stuff will just become more and more, you know, we'll end up with having, they'll be like graphics chips. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, in in most of our computers, they're only just starting to use graphics chips for processing because these things are, have incredible power and high speed. They're, they're in some cases much faster and more powerful than the actual CPUs on the on on the computers. So uh, we'll, maybe we'll end up with these kind of ridiculously powerful chips that are just interpreting user interface. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh -huh. Anyway. It all, it's all going to be quite interesting, but but uh, do check out, um, if you get a chance to try Android, I mean, I know there's lots of people who love the uh, uh, the iPhone operating system, and it is great. Try the, uh, see if you can try the um, Android system as well, because, I mean, I've only got 2.1 on this phone, but uh, 2.2 is supposed to be even better, and I'm hoping to upgrade soon, but uh, do check it out. And um, and I think that probably brings us rather neatly to the end of the show, which has, uh, has been much fun as usual. I want to thank all the people who've been in the chat room. Um, great to see you all there. Thanks for very much for joining in. Uh, nice to see Kiwi Fan, who's Kiwi Steve, of course, um, who is uh, up at some ridiculous hour in the morning in uh, in New Zealand. We very much appreciate it. And everybody else. Uh, everybody, everybody's got busy days, and um, mm -hmm. we appreciate you taking time out. And that goes for my guest as well. And, um, I'll... Uh, Outroduce them. Is it, there's an introduce and an outroduce. Uh, Howard Scar asks that there's no sponsor. Yes, there was a sponsor. It was a Yamaha sponsor. The Yamaha are, of mm -hmm. course, kind sponsors of the show. You must have been napping, or maybe you came in late, or you've got a uh, Yamaha anti-Yamaha filter somewhere built into your monitoring system. But anyway, thank you very much for listening to the show, um, and thank you very much to Gaz Williams, who's in uh, over in Bristol. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yep. And you're going to give us a, uh, a URL to point to soon, because uh, hopefully we'll have more of you on the show. You're always oh, yeah. welcome. Thank you. And uh, thanks very much to PJ Tracy in uh, Minneapolis, where he's uh, masterminding world domination and uh, continuing Emmy nominations, I hope. <laughs> thanks, Nick. It's a real pleasure. And I just want to uh, uh, let anybody know that's listening to the show, if they're interested in hearing the rest of the recordings that my band did um, a couple of weeks ago, they're available for free download at our MySpace page, which is, um, I'm sure Nick can put a, a link in the show, but I it's certainly can. My, MySpace forward slash Tortuga, T-O-R-T-U-G-A, jazz. And also we're on Facebook. So if... Um, if uh, anybody would like to friend us, we would very much appreciate that. Okay. Well, yeah, send us the links over and we'll put them in the show notes. I uh, very much appreciate it. I'll do that. 
And also, uh, well, thank you very much to Dave Spears from G4 Software. Thank you for joining us too. Thank you. Um, I've got a bit of a, a request because I know Akai Pete is sometimes around. He is. I, I met Akai Pete in person at the BPM show. Very nice chap he was. I think he might still be there. I'm not sure. Oh, wow, cool. Um, a friend of mine's got a Z4 uh, sampler and he wants to know what a really good orchestral library is because he doesn't want to buy a receptor and he doesn't want to take a laptop out on the road. So if anyone's got any suggestions, bung them in the... Um, comments under the show and I will, they will be much appreciated well i could t- I, you could do that but i could also recommend that you look into getting some translator stuff and just translate from something else because they're, they're getting pretty good i was looking into this the other day actually it was uh, the chicken sis translator um which i first looked at a couple of years ago and it wasn't quite there but it's now really really good and you can go to and from you can get special editions that will just go anything to akai so you can cool. take, uh, you know, pretty much any sample library format and turn it into archive. And he, but he, could, but Nick, could you do that with one of the large, you know, de- direct from disk streaming sample libraries? Could you turn that into archive format? I mean, because there's going to be some li- limitations. Yeah, his, well, I mean, I don't think you can. Yeah, you're not going to be able to get any direct. You can stream from disk, but it's not really designed the archive for playing samples like that. It's more for sort of clips and stuff. If if I remember correctly, the Z, the Akai OS. Right, right. Okay, so so one suggestion, Dave, uh, would be the old Miroslav Vitus library for the Akai. Ah, depending okay, on what Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not phrases, just, you know, obviously multi-sampled instruments. Not, that's right. multi-sampled instruments. And the, orig- the original version of that sample library, you know, it came on umpteen thousand CD-ROMs, but it has every section of the orchestra multi-sampled. Um and not as comprehensively as some of the larger direct from disc uh, libraries now, obviously, but they sound really good. And in, and in a live context, they might work really well. Excellent. Ah, thank you very excellent. much. Yeah, that's a good yep. idea. Thanks very much, PJ. Yep. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, G4software.com. Thank you, Dave. Thank you to, again once again to everybody in the chat room. Thanks once again to the show sponsors. Uh, SonicState.com forward slash Yamaha will take you out to their world and tell you all you need to know about the Motif XF. Um, that was Sonic Talk number 192. Thank you very much.